0: and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. We're still healthy and still recording, and we hope this podcast brings you some comfort. Follow updates from cdc.gov and your state's Department of Health and seek out only accurate, science-based, and up-to-date information on the pandemic. But also, if you can, take moments for self-care every day. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside, and stay positive. Today, we are delighted to interview poets Erin Carlisle and Mary Soon Lee.
1: Yeah, so I recently interviewed poet Erin Carlisle about her own writing, as well as writing inspiration and even writing during the
0: pandemic. I'm excited to hear it.
1: So I'm really pleased to be interviewing Erin Carlisle today. She's a poet, and I will let her give us a little bit more introduction of herself.
2: Hi, um, I'm Erin Carlisle. Uh, I have an MFA from Bowling Green State University. I just graduated um, last year. Uh, I have been writing for 20 plus years though, since probably I was eight years old. It's the only thing I've ever really loved. It's my passion. And I'm a working and publishing poet. I just got a a publication in Prairie Schooner, which just came out um, in April. So I'm super excited about that. Great.
1: Well, so I wanted to talk to you today about um, poetry writing, your process, your inspiration, and also a little bit about like having creative space and time and time to write while we're all sort of in quarantine. Uh, Another poet friend of mine has called it Quarantivity, which (laughs) is really cute. But so tell us a little bit, like maybe tell us first about your most recent publication that you mentioned in Prairie What did you have published in there?
2: Um, I had two poems published. I uh, actually got the notice that they would be published uh, a year ago. So this is sort of a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of work in indie and small journals. Um, this is sort of my first quote-unquote big journal, as elitist as that sounds, (laughs) Um, (laughs) and I got two poems, one called Two Girls, which is about my friend who was murdered in 2001, and I, another one called uh, My Cannibal, which is based on the Japanese cannibal uh, who uh, wanted to eat a woman to gain her power, Um, mm -hmm. and he killed, like, a a foreign exchange student, did not gain her power, so, so... (laughs) (laughs) So I do a little bit of like, I don't want to call it true crime poetry, because I don't know how silly that sounds, but I do a lot of uh, personal poetry, but also explorations into sort of true crime from the woman's perspective.
1: That's really interesting. So yeah, we don't often hear from the woman's perspective, it's a crime against a woman. And that's a really feminist way of approaching your writing, I think.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a little, um, I had a friend ask me to read the, read a poem from, from this publication and I read it and I got a little bit of a face because, you know, I didn't prepare that yeah. it would be so gory, but you know. <laughs>
1: but that's, yeah, I mean, I think that's real and that's raw and I think that that's something that poetry can do is explore some of those emotional states that may be yeah. harder to deal with in other forms of writing, so.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah.
1: So is true crime
2: one of your inspirations? I think mainly what I've been interested in and sort of, I don't know who, who said this, what, uh, but a writer or an artist always sort of looks inward in their, their childhood first, and then they move on to something else. So I've been writing a lot about growing up poor in the South, Um, my dad was addicted to opioids. I'm a child of the opioid crisis. Um, I lost my uncle in 2009 and I just lost my dad in in August. So I write a lot about that and sort of my perspective, my girlhood growing up in um, the rural South under those circumstances. So it's a lot about that. And then it's sort of, I've been, so my book is called The Animal. It's not out yet. Hopefully someone will pick it up soon. Um, And it's sort of about my life. And then sort of peppered in with these um, true crime and these sort of things that I've been obsessed with since I was a young person as well. That sounds really interesting. (laughs) I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a little dark, but um, you know, I mean, it's just some of the things that I've been really passionate about and interested in. And I think growing up in the way that I grew up, um, I've seen a lot of not so nice things like, you know, growing up around drug abuse and alcohol abuse. um, I've seen, my mother treated it in certain ways and things like that. Um, so I don't know, true crime just sort of resonated with me. Yeah. And then um, when my friend passed away, it was just such a shock for all of the friend group and it was such a, a brutal thing and um, that sort of kicked off that, that interest as well.
1: Well and I read those pieces that were in Paris Skinner and those are both very, very powerful and visceral and um, you know you can tell that there's dark things inspiring them, but also your language usage is really beautiful too. So I think that that's something interesting that poetry can do is explore something brutal through language that also still is beautiful language.
2: Yeah, I think that's something. So as a young person, I was really interested in poetry. Um, I didn't know what it meant, like as an eight-year-old, go to the library and get um, Emily Dickinson and try to like piece it out and figure it out. But I was always very drawn to that, like the line, like what does this mean? What is this puzzle? And so I try to bring that into my poetry now I spend a lot of time like I'll spit it out uh, onto the computer and then it's like months and months and months of fine-tuning what is the right word I want for me I like each line to be almost its own poem Mm -hmm. so it could stand alone sometimes that works And then sometimes it doesn't for the benefit of the poem, but that's sort of my goal.
1: Yeah. So how long would an average poem take you if it's, if you also kind of work and edit it over a series of months? Would you say that it is months or?
2: I'd say the ones that were just published um, in Prairie Schooner, they, well, two girls was, I probably took two years to write. I'm not a very fast writer. You know, I, I I know some people who are very prolific and it's just not my, my way, you know?
1: (laughs) that's okay like I think that that's that's something interesting we just interviewed um a novelist the other day who wrote a book in three months but that's like unusual and and kind of strange so I think that taking months and even years with one piece even a short piece is is a little bit more I don't know comprehensible to a lot of people it's <laughs> too, comprehensible to me at
2: least anyway I think it, it takes a minute And with you as a writer as well maybe this is true for you I, I need to put it away because mm. after a while, it just starts looking like um, gibberish. It doesn't look like something, and I don't even understand it anymore. So it may take a couple of years to write, but it's not like I'm writing it every day. You know, I'm like, it's in the back of my head, and then I come back to it maybe a month later, and it's like, oh, I can understand this now. I, I can find my way into it. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're interesting. So let's move on to some
1: of your inspirations outside of true crime um, or personal experience. Are there specific poets that you read? Um, that really inspired you or made you want to write poetry?
2: Yeah, I would say um, Margaret Atwood is who is also a poet. Some people forget that, but she uh, is also a poet. Her book, Power Politics, I found that probably in my early 20s. So angry, but it, she would say it's not. But for me when I found it, you know, it was just like this feminist, I don't know, rawness about relationship. And maybe she would interpret that in a different way, which is fine. It's her prerogative as the writer. But, uh, but that was sort of one of my my first like real connections other than when I was little like I like trying to figure out the I, I think um, like Emily Dickinson like I said before I didn't really know what she was talking about uh, or what what I was actually reading but I loved trying to figure it out so those were sort of early but I also found a lot of inspiration in music the music lyrics and things like that as a teenager but as far as poets I love Uh, the poet Sharon Olds. Uh, She explores a lot of family connections, um, things like that. She wrote a book called The Father, which has been, you know, really important to me uh, since my father's passed away. She actually has written a few uh, books about her father, so they've been really helpful to me. And then um, now, uh, as far as contemporary poetry is concerned, I love Sarah Rose Norgren. She writes, she's such a studied poet and something I wish that I could be. She just, um, a couple of years ago, she came out with a book called Darwin's Mother. It sort of explores the evolution of information as far as like computers and where does all of our stories go if it's all digital, you know, things like that. And then Maggie Smith, Tracy Brimhall, things, uh, people like that inspired me recently. Cool. Oh, and then I forgot, Frank Stanford, he's an Arkansas poet, so it's another sort of southern gothic. He wrote this very long poem called The Battlefield, where the moon says I love you, and it's just sort of like this weird conversation. There's like tons and tons of characters, and it's really hard to understand, but I, I love it. Cool. So, I mean, I could go on and on. There's like, tons of people, <laughs> but as a young person, I think, you know, lyrics and things like that from my favorite artists sort of gave me an in as far as poetry.
1: Well, and I think that singer-songwriters, they are among, I think, I think of them sometimes almost more as a poet than, than really a musician in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Have you taught poetry writing or have you only taught reading and appreciating or?
2: I taught creative writing workshop before. It was a really wonderful experience, and right now, because of the coronavirus, we're all doing digital uh, learning, so we've kind of scrambled to figure out what we could do, and I've taught several appreciation and uh, workshop classes. Um, At the college level, I've taught uh, creative writing workshops.
1: So what are things that you think young people of of any age, but maybe especially college age or people who are starting to get interested in writing poetry, what's one maybe piece of advice for a young poet that you might have?
2: The one piece of advice that I got that it really helped me, maybe it's because of the type of writer that I am, and I think it really applies in this time period of Corona and, and distance is that even if you're not writing, you're still a writer. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking some time to figure it out in your head, maybe that your process, because I used to beat myself up and think, oh, I have to just sit down and force it to come out and things like that. But I, I can't, My one of my professors told me that and it just like blew my mind open because I was like, yes, of course, I'm an artist. I'm an artist, even if I'm not doing it every single day. And I don't have to feel guilty about that.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great advice. I think that young people especially get a little intimidated. There, there's something to be said for writing every day, and I, I sometimes try to, but it's more about yeah. being a creative mindset every day, even if you're not actively writing every day. The pandemic has really, I think, been changing people's creative the way they work. So that was something else I wanted to ask you about.
2: But as far as advice to, I would say also to be brave and send stuff out. because that's the the only way you're going to get people to read it. You know, if you're not quite finished with something, that's one thing. But if you have something that you want someone to to read, you're never going to get it out unless you try. And there's lots of different avenues now. Um, It doesn't have to be poetry magazine or something big like that. There are tons of indie online magazines that would be happy to publish young poets. Getting it out there, getting it out of your head, trying to write, but not being upset at yourself if you can't. Um, And then really just sending it out and just saying, I'm a writer, I'm a poet, I'm going to send it out to the world and be confident about that.
1: So yeah, to kind of maybe get back into the the thing about the pandemic, which we've not been discussing too, too much on the podcast, but it also has shaped a lot of, you know, people's attention at the moment. Um, Do you feel like it has changed your subject matter or writing style or how you want to
2: write or how much you want to write? I think it's given me more time to write and also that's sort of a double-edged sword too because sometimes I feel like I can't. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that it's been on my mind and I, I definitely don't know exactly how to piece that out in a poem yet. I have several fragments of things but as far as changing my the way I write, I don't think so but giving me maybe a respite to figure out something or to like think about it, it's done that for sure. But I would say that the, ang- my anxiety level has been, you know, a little bit through the roof. <laughs> so <Yeah>. it kind of <laughs> like, you know, the writer in me wants to do something. Anxiety is like, no, coronavirus. <laughs> and so it's really hard. I was trying to do
1: a coronavirus <clears throat> poetry diary every day and it's, n- I'm not trying to make the poems be good. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. I'm just kind of like, let me write something every day that is, inspired by it even if it's just for me and that's something that I would tell people if they feel like you want to try something creative and different just do something that records your thoughts about what's going on yeah and then do something with the material I'm just thinking of it as making clay not actually making sculptures it's just and stuff on the page.
2: I like that. I have a couple of friends uh, or colleagues who are doing um, journals uh, every day, just like even little snippets of their thoughts. And I thought about doing that as well. I like that idea. That's cool. I also worry that there's going to be in a year from
1: now, there's going to be a bunch of books trying to come out. Oh yeah.
2: Oh yeah. No, I've already seen. So I'm on several like Facebook groups for writers and poets and things like that. And I've already seen like, Hey, do you know anyone who's taking uh, pandemic poetry and like, just, well, maybe that's cool. Cause we need that. I mean, we need art to survive. I think um, I think it makes everything easier. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty early, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It is. <laughs> I, think, I think that's, there's two
1: things you could approach your work right now is to either lean in and just write about it or lean way out and don't write about it. And I think both are totally fine. Yeah. Where you're at and what you want to be doing. So From the appreciation standpoint of poetry, do you find that you've had some students that have been a little resistant to it, or what do you tell them if they find poetry kind of hard to get into?
2: Yeah, I think that when I taught creative writing workshop, people had an easier time with the fiction section. I just think it's not that it, I mean, fiction's hard too and it's really something that I'm not super great at, but maybe it's something, maybe I, I'm not really sure why people feel like they can wrap their heads around it. Maybe it's because they read, we, we take in stories all the time and maybe that like we understand that narrative structure. I'm not sure. So it's not as fearful, it's not as scary for people. But when I tried to, you know, introduce a few uh, poets and things like that, it was, I definitely had to kind of explain that for me, I think poetry is very, very similar to fiction. It's just sort of condensed. The language is condensed. You have similar goals and kind of demystifying it for them. And then bringing in lots of different types of poetry, because I think that we still think of poetry as something like, what, Yeats or something like that, something really old. and may be hard to penetrate, or maybe just not for young people. But it's kind of like demystifying it for them, because they're not really exposed to it as much as other types of story making.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I would hope that, yeah, if you can at least kind of tease out the fact that there is a sense of narrative sometimes, there isn't always, of course. No, but- right. That is one way to get a, a fiction writer more on board with poetry, for sure. Right. So what's next for you? you got your book you're working on. Are you trying to shop that out? Or? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much finished. Uh, I have it out in different places. I've been doing, sending out packets of poetry, trying to get more publications. But the the next step is the book, because that's my number one goal in life. I have a little chapbook book from Dancing Girl Press, And I have several publications and I've been really proud of myself because it's a, you know, it's a hard journey and it's been really, really awesome. But yeah, the book is my next big, please publish it someone (laughs) goal.
1: (laughs) Good luck. I'm sure, I'm sure you will eventually get that out there. I know that right now editors have some of, some editors have a little more time on their hands, but you know, stuff is still getting published, but yeah, good luck. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much for being with me today. Great. Thank you. Thank you. It was really great to hear from Erin. So thank you, KW, for doing that interview. Sure. And while you were doing that, I was interviewing Mary Soon Lee about her latest release, The Sign of the Dragon, her elemental haiku, and some of her current reads. Great. All right. I'm here with Mary Soon Lee, who is a writer I've admired for a couple years now. And she's a little Pittsburgh writer, which is very cool. Mary, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit?
3: Hi, thank you. I've lived in Pittsburgh for over 20 years, but I actually grew up in London. I write both short stories and poetry, and I my two latest books are both poetry, and they're at the extreme opposite ends of the poetry spectrum. <laughs> One of them is science haiku, and the other is epic fantasy. So, And they're both excellent in different ways.
0: Thank you. Which one would you rather talk about
3: first? Well, the newest one is The Sign of the Dragon, the epic fantasy. So it's also the thing that I've written that matters most to me out of all the things I've ever written. So that's my favorite topic. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, let's go for it. So this actually started out, was it Dark Regions Press? Yes, sort of. The very first thing that happened was in about the summer of 2013, I started writing some fantasy poetry. I had spent about 10 years writing mainstream regular poetry. <laughs> and then I decided I'm just going to go and write some fantasy poetry, which I had done years before that, but not, not for about a decade. And one of the first poems I wrote was about a boy who meets a dragon after his father, the king, dies, and he's chosen to be the new king. And I meant it to be a standalone poem, but something about it sucked me in and I kept on and on writing about that boy and the story. And now, if I'm correct, that's over 300 poems, right? Yes, I think it's 341. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) So the first part, it's split into five parts? Uh, Originally, the first fifth was published by Dark Renaissance Books But my wish was to have it all published as one thing. Mm -hmm. And since in the end, it's come out as an electronic book, it was possible to just put it all into one volume and not worry about how long it was getting. (laughs) Right, cool. So the ebook
0: recently came out for that. Yes. But is the paperback still available for the first section?
3: It is. You can get it. (laughs) (laughs) It underwent a change where Dark Renaissance books became... I don't I want to say Dark <laughs> Regions books or something. So there are two editions that are exactly the same except for the details about the publisher, but
0: I do have that that paperback and it has very nice illustrations in it, which is very cool. So I know some people will still want that even though it's not the whole thing. So that's why I wanted to mention it.
3: Oh yes, I love the illustrations.
0: Yes, they're wonderful. But the full ebook was recently released. So how did you decide to do that did you do it on your own did you have a publisher to
3: do that i actually have an agent um she for instance was the person who sold the science poetry book to a conventional publisher who paid me you know an advance and so on and she was trying to sell the sign of the dragon as well um but she'd been through a fair number of publishers it's not an obvious thing to publish because it's neither a conventional epic fantasy like Game of Thrones, and nor is it a regular poetry book that people expect when they buy poetry in a bookstore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so although she hadn't completely run out of options, when the pandemic happened and I really wanted to get it published, she agreed to help me get it published electronically. Well, that's great.
0: Can you talk a little bit about your writing process for The Sign of the Dragon specifically, since I know, I mean, it's so big. So
3: the only thing that really differentiates it from the other writing projects is that I did think about it a lot. You know, if I was, I don't know, doing (laughs) housework or grocery shopping or brushing my teeth, I'd still be thinking about the characters and what might happen next. I didn't do a very good job of sort of (laughs) shutting it away when I was meant to be doing something else. But other than that, it was the same as writing anything. I primarily write when my children are away. So when Lucy is at school, she's in ninth grade. And back then, William was also in regular school as opposed to college.
0: Mm -hmm. So has that changed now during the pandemic? (laughs)
3: Yes, everyone is home. It's very strange. (laughs) (laughs) I have still done some writing, but it is actually, I'm not used to writing with Multiple people in the house, and maybe multiple people making noises in the house. You know, having (laughs) their own Zoom conversations or classes over Zoom or business meetings over Zoom. So it's strange.
0: Yeah. Well, I I hope you (laughs) get
3: adjusted to that because it is very
0: strange. So for for me, I don't write a lot of poetry, and I I'm interested in in actually how you structured the story because when I write my fantasy books, I kind of have. I either have a general idea or maybe an outline. So do you set out to write a poem? You know what's going to happen. You set out to write a poem or you write a poem and you kind of think, oh, I have to write these ones to make it fit
3: in or something. How does that work? There was no really clear thing. As I say, when I began, I didn't know that I was going to do the whole lot. So I, I just wrote what turned out to be some of the early poems early on and then as you suggest, I sometimes I filled in ones in gaps and sometimes I leapt ahead and then sometimes I... But there were there were some big arcs to do with things like wars where I did think about the pattern of the story and what was going to have to happen. But even then, the way that it's written, where you skip from something, one thing to another thing, sometimes completely avoiding the obvious thing like, I don't know, the main battle from the point of view of the main character, and instead you either don't see the main battle or you see it from the point of view of a minor character, Mm -hmm. that structure meant that I could go back and add things in later. So it was pretty flexible. There were a couple of times when I spent a while unsure how I was going to sort out a problem. You know, I knew there was a character who was the villain who had to you know achieve some result, and i had I had to decide how they were going to try and do it. That's cool. Can you talk a little bit about your influences for the book? I think that with this book, a lot of it came out of my childhood, and it wasn't even a conscious process, so that when I wrote the first poem, it's pretty stripped of references. I mean there's a dragon, and there though it isn't actually named as a dragon in that poem. And there's a boy and there's a king and so on. But very soon after that, I named the boy and I gave him a Chinese name. And I'm pretty sure that's because my father was Chinese. And then the first enemy, I gave a Celtic name. And I'm pretty sure that's because my mother was Irish. But I didn't sit down and think, "Oh, I'll have a Chinese hero." <laughs> it was just, it just came. And I think a whole lot of the book was like that. It came out of things that were a part of me
0: yeah that's really cool since it's so personal what
3: do you want people to take away from the book i'd really just like them to enjoy it (laughs) and at this time you know during the pandemic i'd like it if it made people think about the importance of kindness or trying to do the right thing something like that that's lovely
0: Well, I'm very excited to read the rest of it, although I might, I think I'm going to go back and read the
3: first part again. I think it makes sense. And also, it got edited a little bit. Not much, but enough that, yeah, if you've got time. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) It is quite long, but I'm excited for that. So, very cool. Do you want to say anything else about The Sign of the Dragon before we talk about Elemental Haiku?
3: I guess only to say that I decided that any money I get from... Any sales from 2020, I'm going to give to three charities. And one of them is a Pittsburgh charity, which is the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. And then the other two are not local. One is Doctors Without Borders, which is about as unlocal <laughs> as it could be. But very and... <laughs> important right now. <laughs> and the other one is the Trevor Project. So Okay.
0: Well, thank you. That's That's great to know. Thank you very much. And then another one of your recent projects, like you said very different in terms of scale (laughs) (laughs) and lengths of the poems and things,
3: is your elemental haiku book. So can you talk about that? Sure. So with that one, I think it. I wrote the first couple of haiku, which was a haiku for hydrogen, the first element of the periodic table, and a haiku for um, helium. And at the point when I wrote the second one, which was the same morning, I thought to myself, you know, I could try and just keep going through the periodic table, which is a fundamental thing in chemistry for the different elements, and go through them in order. And I decided to try, I wasn't quite sure if I'd succeed. But I did roughly speaking, one a day. And some of them were either quirky or based on things I already knew. And some of them, especially with the, the newer elements were things that I researched in order to write it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's very cool. I found a copy of the waterfront Barnes Snowball. <laughs> I think it was over at Christmas. And it was signed by you, which is very cool. <laughs> oh,
3: you know, I did go to the local bookstores and try and sign them. And that was another book that was illustrated. It's very um, nice on me if people illustrate things I've written. So
0: Right. The the book itself is very lovely. Yeah, maybe in terms of this book and Sign of the Dragon. I know Sign of the Dragon you wanted as an ebook so you c- it could all be together. But how do you feel as an author about physical books versus ebooks, especially in regards to poetry, because it, there is something that goes into the layout of a physical book with poetry?
3: Yes. Well, I think as an author, I'm happy with whatever works for the particular reader. But as a reader, I am really attached to paper books. I love paper books. And I like to, I know that some people consider this heretical, but I like to be able to write on them or bend the page down (laughs) and so on. But you know, for readers, I I know some people who read more or less exclusively electronic books, and that's fine if, if they like it. Yeah,
0: for me, it's a lot of what I feel like in the moment and Mm. sometimes it is really nice to have that paperback but what I love about ebooks is that I can have so many without
3: (laughs) them spilling over my room. If I I go traveling, not that I'm traveling at the moment, (laughs) but if I am traveling it's very reassuring to think that I've basically got a library on my iPad. Yeah I do like that. So I picked up
0: the physical book for this which was very cool and one of the things that I appreciated about it because I studied English in college and grad school. So it's been a while since I've seriously studied science. But you put footnotes about the elements, which is very cool.
3: That was the editor, Lisa Westmoreland. she um, They're my footnotes, but she said, would you consider adding footnotes? Because they had originally appeared in Science, which is a journal, just the haiku. And I said, yes, <laughs> I'll add footnotes. But it was her idea. So, she gets the credit. <laughs> okay,
0: that was very helpful.
3: I very much like that. What was your favourite
0: element to write about, if you have
3: one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> or most interesting,
3: maybe? It really, it it varies a lot. Uh, so it depends on my mood. Sometimes I like the facetious ones, and sometimes I like the ones that are space-related. Whoa. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. To, there's there's one about Scrabble, um, um, <laughs> and I think that was another thing. The editor did suggest that if I was writing one which was really flippant, I should write a serious one as well. So a few of them have two versions. Right. But yes, <laughs> I, I, I should have thought of a good answer for that okay. one. <laughs> it's really too changeable. There's the one for. Uh, I'm not going to be able to remember the wording. But it's something like first seat, fourth row, yearning for the halogens on the other side. But again, I'm not completely certain that I've got the wrong yes. <laughs> number. Right at that point.
0: That's okay.
3: I'm very sorry. I, I've remembered another one I like, which is the second one. So this is helium, and this one I, I do remember. Begin universe, wait three minutes to enter, stay cool, don't react. I enjoyed that one. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's that's funny because people did write to me and they they liked... It wasn't as though there was a single one that was universally popular. Different yeah. people reacted to different ones.
0: Right. And I like that there was a mix of ones that were scientific and educational almost, and then ones that were more funny mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that. So,
3: Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how does writing haiku differ? I mean, besides the structure because it's so short, or how do you approach it differently, maybe, than something like your longer poems in Sign of the Dragon? Well, the
3: haiku had the advantage that it was pretty clear what the task was. If I sat down <laughs> and the task was, you know, write a um, haiku for the element iron, I, I was, <laughs> it's pretty constrained. And yes, I might sometimes have five different thoughts on what I could put in the haiku as the main thing that was being discussed but there weren't five million thoughts <laughs> it, was, it was more limited and then additionally I tried to do the five seven five syllable thing and I very rarely write to any kind of meter or with any kind of syllable thing so um, that involved a lot of trying to swap the words around just phrase it so that it would fit the pattern um, which was a bit more like a jigsaw puzzle or something cool than I'm used to <laughs> okay okay <laughs> So
0: maybe it's a little bit easier, if I could say that, because you know what you're exactly what you're writing about. But it's harder in the sense that you have to fit it into this form.
3: The form is a little difficult, but it's definitely, it was clear cut. You knew when you are done it.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. That is a good thing to appreciate about a work. Sometimes you just don't know when you're done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so are you working on anything
3: now? I am writing standalone things. And off and on, I'm adding to a collection of astronomy poems. So the astronomy poems at the moment, although I'm considering whether to vary this, they are all titled How to Something. So How to Be a Star, How to Thank Earth. <laughs> that sounds cool. How to Surprise Saturn, and so on. <laughs> so then I, they have a lot of different forms, but that's the pattern that they've fallen into for the moment. and. I go back and add occasional ones to it, but I think it's nearly finished. Cool.
0: And that is meant to be an entire work on its own, or are yeah. you sending poems out?
3: I am always sending stuff out. I checked with my agent, and she was comfortable with that. So 30-something of the poems have been published at this okay. point. cool. And the hope would be to eventually get them all published. But actually, the pandemic will probably slow us down. And the fact that I haven't finished it and the pandemic <laughs> is slowing me down. <laughs> yeah, that's important.
0: <laughs> Can you name a few of the journals they've been published in? Sorry, that's all on the spot. No, too. it's
3: fine. They haven't been published mostly in science journals. Okay. In fact, maybe not at all, because I haven't tried submitting them there. So I've sent them to science fiction and fantasy places. The only problem is sometimes it's hard for me to remember what appeared where. I know that there has been one or maybe more than one in Asimov's and Analog has either accepted and published or accepted but not yet published. Okay. Some. A local magazine called Uckergus has actually published quite a few of them. Okay. They've been doing one per issue for the last few issues. Oh, that's cool. And... A more literary place called Spillway published one. And then, actually, as I say, so there are 30 of them published. There's probably about 20 different places. I've managed to remember about four. You don't have to name them all.
0: (laughs) I just thought it'd be good if uh, listeners want to go out and read some of them. They have a few places they can look. So that's good. A few
3: are online, (laughs) but (laughs) I don't think I've linked them in any coherent way from my website or anything else.
0: The last thing I wanted to talk about was what kind of pop culture you're into right now. Are you reading anything that you love or just do you have some old favorites that
3: you want to talk to people about? I could probably talk about books for way (laughs) longer than you want, things that I've loved. During the pandemic times, I've found or gone further into two series that I've been really enjoying. One of them is the Rivers of London series by Ben Aronovich. Okay. So it's fantasy, I guess, urban fantasy, based mainly in London, but also in other parts of England. And the main character is a detective who ends up, well, he starts off as a regular police officer, and he investigates weird things, ghosts and so forth, that aren't acknowledged by the rest of the police force. I mean, he's not the only person in the department, but he's one of only two. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. um, I I actually absolutely love them. The funny thing is, though, the very first book, I only liked. And I read it about a year before the others. And then when I it was when I came back and decided, oh, I will read book two, that I changed from liking it to loving it. I don't know if the books are different, or my mood was different. But now I love them.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Because I don't know if you know Heidi
3: Ruby Miller. Yes.
0: Yeah, she recommended those books. So maybe if I try the first one and only like it, I'll make sure to read the (laughs) second one too.
3: (laughs) And the other series that I've been reading, um, I'm currently partway through book four, is the Invisible Library series by Genevieve Cogman. And the conceit of that is that there is this mysterious vast library with doorways to other worlds. And there are a um, a group of librarians who work there and collect unique books from these many worlds that the library's connected to but it's a very fun book you know there's jeopardy and so on but there's never a feeling of terrible depressing darkness <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know it's, it's written in a fashion that even when things are going wrong it's still an upbeat reading experience so okay. i've enjoyed that a lot great that sounds good I, if we go further back into the past, then there'll be too many books.
0: <laughs> Do you want to mention maybe one big favourite
3: from further back? I suppose that's really hard. but <laughs> we, So I'd either want to say Ursula Le Guin, and, so that I could actually cover about, you know, a dozen different <laughs> things she's done that I loved, right. or The Lord of the Rings, which... Okay. I think I first read when I was nine, and then kept on and on rereading because I—it was hugely influential on me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I should have said that on the poetry front, I read poetry sort of in parallel to reading a novel. So I'm pretty much always reading some poetry book, and the one I'm reading at the moment, I think, is actually really excellent. It's not—it's—it's it's an odd book. It's. The translations of a Chinese poet who's either called Tufu or Du Fu, depending on which way which version of his name you read, and he's from about seven hundred a d and the translation has the Chinese characters, then a transliteration of the Chinese characters into you know our alphabet, and then a word by word link between each of the Chinese characters and an English translation, and then Uh a discussion of what it actually means, because you know the grammar and so on is different, so that just knowing what those words are doesn't always make it obvious what the sentence means, and also the background to what was going on at the time and what these things meant, and then finally there's a loose translation into prose, and it's not a very poetic translation, but I have never found... An author who did such a good job of letting you see, even though you speak no Chinese, you know what the original was and how it affected it. Uh, so I, I think it's it's pretty brilliant. I've never studied poetry academically, actually, so somebody else would be. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more authoritative. <laughs> but I liked it a lot. <laughs> okay, that sounds really interesting. Thank you. I wrote that down. The title is A Little Primer of Tufu, and it's by translated by David Hawkes. I guess in some sense, part of it's by Tufu. But...
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very cool. Thank you very much.
3: And where can people find you online? So I use Twitter. I've been doing so for two and a half years. And my name is just It's at Mary Soon Lee, which is my name. And then I have a website, which is marysoonlee.com. So it's all just under my name. I don't do Facebook or other social media. It's just Twitter. Okay. Yeah, that's
0: great. And it looks like you have links to both Sign of the Dragon and Elemental Haiku on your website. So listeners will be set if they head on over there.
3: There probably is an email address, too. If anybody actually has a question, I could probably answer it. Well, maybe not, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was a
0: lot of fun. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Thank you for asking me to do it. Thanks a lot, Carrie.
0: You're welcome. That was super interesting. Thank you so much for interviewing her. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Next time, we're going to talk about more great pop culture topics. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on
1: Twitter at KWTaylorWriter.
0: And me on Twitter at Carrie Gester. And you can find us both together on Twitter at Paws Pop Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at Positively Pop at gmail.com.
1: Thanks so much for listening and join us next time for another episode of Paws Pop.